Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for leading us today in, in worship. And uh, ladies of Grace Fellowship, MK and Abby will be leading worship at our women's ministry retreat uh, coming up in just a little while. And so you're going to get some more information about that. Uh, but uh, if you are not signed up for that, it's going to be great. You don't want to miss out and uh, encourage other people to come and be with you for that retreat as well. Well, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture here as we're continuing on in our discussion about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus and to know how to help others be disciples of Jesus. And so none of us would argue with the fact that Jesus commands us in Scripture to go make disciples. The question we've been trying to answer is, how do I do that? A lot of people would say, I know I'm supposed to be discipling others or making disciples uh, in the way that Jesus did, but man, how? What does that look like? Maybe no one ever instructed you with how to do that. Maybe you've never seen that in Scripture really clearly. And so we're trying to take this series to really pull out some things from Scripture to show Jesus' method for how he did that and how he modeled to us the ability to go make disciples. And so we've been talking about that uh, through the lens of four words that we believe that Jesus used as his method for teaching people to make disciples. And the four words are on the screen here with our logo. It's just share, connect, minister, and disciple. And so we talk about the SCMD method of making disciples. And that SCMD just stands for those words. Share, connect, train to minister, and then release to disciple. That's Jesus's method. That's what he does. And so we're going to see that play out again today as we talk through some of these things. But as a recap, if you've missed some of this series uh, or just want to kind of be reminded of what we've been talking about, we've been looking at this through the idea of spiritual uh, relationship and then also of physical relationship. And so when we think about where people stand when it comes to their physical development, we can identify different stages of life. The same thing is true in our spiritual development. So if you have someone in your family or a friend circle that has an infant, you can identify and go, well, that person's an infant. Look at them. They're a little baby. They crawl around on the floor. They just lay there and coo at you, like whatever it is. But I can identify that's an infant. And then because I know that's an infant, I kind of know what that infant needs personally. They're going to need some, some milk, some soft food. They're going to need a lot of nurturing from their parents. They're going to need to be clothed and, and bathed, and they need all kinds of things, right? Because they're an infant. They can do nothing for themselves. Well, when we think about that from the perspective of being a spiritual infant, we might go, well, what does someone who's brand new in Christ need or somebody who hasn't grown and matured in their faith need? They need to be nourished in those same ways. And so we talked about the idea of they need somebody who's going to share with them to share God's truth, to share their life, to share habits and, and beliefs, and to say, this is what Scripture teaches. And so an infant in the faith needs someone who's going to share those things. Then as we grow and mature, we might think about ourselves as a child in the faith. And much like we might identify some things with a child uh, in a, a physical way, we would identify some things in a child in a spiritual way. And one of the characteristics of a child 
And, uh, and I've still got some boys who are kind of in that child stage, moving toward young adulthood, but they're, they're preteens and teens right now. And so one of the things that characterizes a, a physical child tends to be we're kind of self-centered when we're kids. Everything revolves around me. I want what I want. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to have these for me. And I don't really think much about other people. Most of life is kind of centered around me. Right? And so we might think the same way when it comes to spiritual children that go, you know what, I think from a spiritual perspective, most of what I think about is how does this apply to me? What does this do for me? How do I, how do I get something out of this? And we're not necessarily always thinking about the external kinds of things. So we talked last week about the idea a spiritual child needs to connect. A spiritual child needs to connect to God in a deep relationship with him and learn to abide in Christ. A spiritual child needs to connect with other believers to have relationships, just like kids need to relationships to develop and mature. Spiritual children need to connect with other believers and have deep relationships. And then we need to connect to our purpose. We need to start figuring out some things that God has something big for us to do in life. And so we start connecting to the big picture purpose of what God has for us, to be disciples of Jesus who know how to make disciples of Jesus. And then that brings us to today where we're going to be talking about this idea of stepping into ministry. And when you think about ministry, a lot of times you might go, well, that's your job, pastor. You're the minister. Uh, well, no, I'm a pastor. Part of what I do as a pastor is minister. But all of us are ministers of the gospel. All of us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are called to be ministers. And so we want to help you understand what that looks like. Now, we're moving into this young adulthood kind of stage of spiritual maturity at this point. And much like a young adult physically might start thinking less about themselves and more about the outside world. When you move into adulthood, young adulthood, you kind of start going, you know what? There are other people in the world than me. There are other needs out there than my needs. There are other ways for me to engage with people than the way that I want to be engaged. And so we start to think outside of ourselves. A spiritual child moves in that same direction. As you're growing in your faith and becoming a disciple of Jesus and growing as a disciple of Jesus, you start to be a little bit more God-centric, a little more others-centric, and a little more oriented towards serving people than about being served, than about being for me, than about what do I get out of this, right? And so we're moving in this discipling relationship to see more of the outside world and to go, there's something bigger than me that I want to be a part of. And so that's where we see Jesus start to move in some things with his disciples to take these same steps. Uh, when I was in high school, I can remember very clearly the day that this kind of light bulb went off for me. And I started moving from that child kind of stage of my spiritual maturity more to a young adult stage of my spiritual maturity. I wouldn't have called it that when I was a teenager, but that's what I can now think back and go, I kind of see that shift happening in my life. And it happened this way. I don't know if you can think about that in your life where you kind of went, oh, I remember when I started to figure out there's a bigger world happening all around us with lots of other needs and things than just me. But for me, it was a mission trip that our youth pastor took us on to Reynosa, Mexico when I was a junior in high school. 
And we went down and we stayed in an orphanage for a week. And our job as a team, a bunch of teenagers and our volunteers, uh, adults that went with us, was to go and do construction for this orphanage. And it was awesome. It was a great place. The people who ran it and operated it did an incredible job. But we were going to do construction type things, paint some buildings, uh, put a roof on one of the buildings. We sheetrocked a building and got it all kind of dried in. And, and so our job was to go and do these manual labor kind of projects. Uh, but it gets hot in Mexico. And so about halfway through the day, we'd go, we can't be up on the roof anymore. The sheet stuff is melting under our feet. You see how good of this I am, the sheet stuff. I don't even know what it's called. The tar paper, I guess, would start melting under our feet by about 10 in the morning. We're like, we got to get off. And everybody else is dying with no AC. So in the afternoons, we would take some time away from our work projects and we would go out into the community and we would do more sports ministry kind of stuff. Just go play. Just go hang out with kids and take bubbles and take soccer balls and do whatever and just hang out with local kids. And one day our charter bus pulled us up to the, the point we were going to be spending time with kids that day. And when we got there, we started looking out the windows and realized we're in a garbage dump. Like it's literally where they take the trash for the people of Reynosa, Mexico. It's the, the garbage dump. This, why in the world are we here? And our youth pastor goes, okay, guys, everybody off the bus. We're going to do what? Like, this is crazy. Why are we at the dump? And we get off the bus, and when we do, kids start running to us. And we start looking around and going, you know what? These kids live here. The trash that we saw all around us had shanties built into it. And their families were living in these shanties made out of garbage. And that's where their family lived. They didn't have nice homes. They didn't have good food to eat. They survived off of what was brought to the dump. And I can remember as a 17-year-old just going, this is changing my worldview. Because for the first time, I was put in a place where I saw abject poverty and my heart just went out to these people. So they're living here. All of a sudden, you know what doesn't mean as much to me? My really nice house that I'm going to go home to. The three or four pair of tennis shoes that I have. The closet full of clothes that I can choose anything I want to to wear at any point in time that I want to. All of a sudden, I went from thinking about me and what I want and what I need to being like, there's a world out there that's hurting and it's broken. And I need to get a bigger perspective of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a world where people are living in a trash dump. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because we see Jesus help his disciples make this transition and this shift in their lives. To going, it's time to get away from being spoon-fed and being taken care of to being sent out to do some ministry on your own, to change your perspective of life as a follower of Christ. So that's where we're going to land in Luke chapter 9. Jesus did this for his disciples. He had 12 young men who were following him. We think and believe that potentially most of the disciples were teenagers or maybe in their young 20s, their early 20s. Peter was probably the oldest disciple. He's the only one we know of on record that was married at the time that he was doing life and ministry with Jesus. But the others were probably really young guys. And so when Jesus calls them in, he's going to have shared his life with them, shared truth. He's going to have shared disciplines and habits. 
He's going to take them to that place where he's connected them to one another. He's connected them to God through him. And he's connected them to their bigger purpose. And now today we're going to see him move to this next stage where he's going to shift to this share mentality and this minister mentality. And so here's what we find. And if you're taking notes today, it's not on our app, and I apologize for that. With our, some sickness that's still been among our staff, we didn't get some of the things done this week that we normally do. But here's the first thing that I would show you and would ask you to write down. As disciples of Jesus who are continuing to grow and mature in our faith, we must learn to minister. Right? If we're going to take this next step in our faith journey, we have to learn to minister. This is getting beyond ourselves and getting out into the world to love and serve other people for their betterment and for their good. And so here's what we find in Luke chapter nine, verses one through six, we see this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Jesus does that because he wants his disciples to get to a place where they have to completely rely on God. And he's going to say, God's going to take care of your needs through other people in the towns and villages I'm going to send you to. So don't take anything with you. You are totally reliant on God and the Holy Spirit and the people who you're going to serve. So he sends them out and says this, if people do not welcome you, Leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they, the disciples, set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, as Jesus' disciples continue to grow in their faith, he gives them ministry to do. And so I want us to look at how he goes about this. There's three words in this passage that I want us to pay particular attention to this morning. And here's the first one, if you're taking notes. The first one is just that he called them. Right? And so this is what we see when Jesus called the 12 together. And he says they begin by being in proximity with Jesus. Ministry always starts by being called in to proximity with Jesus. We're not going out in our own power, in our own ability. We are being sent out, but first we're being called in. Come and be with Christ. Come and gain from Christ, and then you're sent out. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Here's the second one. The second word is gave. Jesus gave them some things, and he gives us what we need to carry out ministry in his name. He's going to equip us to do what he calls us to do, in other words. And when we see these things, we go, Jesus gave them some things that were going to be important for them and helpful for them, but he always gives us what we need to carry out ministry in his name. And here's the two things that he gave them that was right in your scripture there. He gave them power. Now, that word power we get from the Greek word dunamis. It's the word that we get our English language, dynamite. All right, so when we think about power, he goes, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you dynamite. I'm going to give you something explosive. This is big, right? And so when we think about dynamite, we go, well, number one, that has some destructive quality to it. There's the ability with dynamite to blow things up and really be destructive. But dynamite can also be useful when, when shaped and nurtured in its intent to be helpful and to be creative even. 
My family and I, years ago, went to the Black Hills of South Dakota and had an opportunity to visit Mount Rushmore. If you've never been there, it's worth the trip. It's really incredible, uh, especially at night to see it lit up. And when we were there, they had fireworks and stuff over the top of Mount Rushmore in the evenings. There's an incredible celebration that's there. But we were able to take this kind of tour around the backside of the mountain that talks about how they created Mount Rushmore. Uh, It's big, y'all. They did not get on like ledges and platforms and pulleys with hammers and chisels and go like that is not how they shaped George Washington's face. That's as big as this room. It's not that big, but you get the picture. They're not sitting up there with chisels. Do you know how they created most of Mount Rushmore and the pictures of the presidents that we see on those mountains? They used dynamite. They would drill holes and put dynamite in there and strategically place charges of dynamite and blow off parts of the mountain. And it would shape facial features and eyes and noses and eyebrows. Like it's incredibly intricate and detailed. But a lot of the way that they shaped that was through dynamite. Dynamite has great destructive power, but it also has the ability to be used when used right and well to have creative purposes. So Jesus sends them out with this power And it's a power that they're going to need for the assignment that Jesus gives to them. Here's the second word that he gives to them, the second gift that he gives to them. It's authority. He says, I don't want you just to have power, but I want you to have authority. In other words, Jesus shifts his disciples from being task-oriented to being authority-driven. And that's an important thing for us to understand, because if you're like me, you kind of like task. I mean, like, I like to have authority, but I also enjoy tasks because I can say, man, at the end of the day, I got this stuff done, right? And so I check boxes. Anybody check boxes? Anybody like me that you did something that wasn't on your list, so you write it on the list and check the boxes, okay? I do that. That's weird, but I do that, all right? And so I'm task-oriented. I'm task-driven. Here's my stuff I had to get done today. I checked off my list. Jesus doesn't just give his disciples tasks to do. He gives them authority to go out. And here's the difference. A task could have been saying, hey, disciples, guys, listen, I want you to pair up, go in different directions, go to these towns and villages and tell them. In a couple of weeks or a couple of months, Jesus is coming in. When he gets here, he's going to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and he's going to heal all of your sick. So bring everybody to him. And when Jesus comes, it's going to be incredible. You don't want to miss out. Show up on that day. Jesus doesn't give them a task. He gives them authority. He says, you go and preach about the kingdom of heaven and heal diseases and cast out demons. I'm giving you authority. And the authority comes by, again, being with him. They were called to him first, and then he sent them. He gave them this power and authority. The last thing is the word that I just said, that he sent. They're sent. And so when we think about them being sent, they go somewhere When it comes for us, the time comes in our lives when we can't stay in our comfort zones, but we need to be pushed out of the nest. We need to be put in some situations where we're going to learn to minister that's going to be uncomfortable for us. I can just imagine the conversations the disciples were having going, okay, you're going to send us. You're coming? No, I'm not coming. Okay, you're not coming. We're going by ourselves, like out to do this thing. Like preach? He's like, yeah, like preach. We've not done that before. Okay, well, you're going to preach. Uh, drive out demons. Did we hear you say demons? Like we're going to do that? Yep, yep, you're going to do that. You're going to drive out demons. And I can just imagine the disciples being excited, but maybe a little anxious, maybe a little nervous. How would you feel? If Jesus went, all right, hey, listen, if I don't, what if I did this? Hey, listen, after church today, pair up with somebody. 
you guys are going to go out, and I want you to find somewhere where you're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. And if anybody comes up that has a demon in them, I want you to cast that sucker out. And all of you would be like, I got lunch plans this afternoon. I think I will pass on this assignment. Jesus sends them out, and I just imagine his disciples being like, yes, authority is being given to us, power is being given to us, but oh my gosh, we're nervous about this. We're on edge about this. What's going to happen? And I love that Jesus does it this way while he's still with them. Because the day is going to come, and we're going to look at it at the very end of this message, where Jesus is going to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age, but you're going to go alone. But before Jesus leaves and gives them that assignment, he gives them the assignment, and then he allows them to come back to him and go, okay, guys, what'd you learn? What happened? What'd you experience? Did you run any problems? Were there things you need to know that I can continue to teach you and equip you and train you to do? Jesus is with them in this moment, sending them out, knowing that they're going to come back to him again so that he can keep teaching and investing and building into their lives. And then here's what I love about how the story ends. The disciples do exactly what Jesus trained them and instructed them to do. Look at verse 6 again. It says, so they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. They take the power and the authority that Jesus gives they take the call to go, and they do exactly what he says. And the power's there for them, and the authority's there for them. And then they come back to Jesus. And so here's what we find with Jesus. When we think about our lives following him, our desire to be a disciple, our desire to help others be trained to be disciples, we need to know some things. And so knowing how Jesus helps people grow is vitally important for us. So here's how we see Jesus would do this. Jesus would, number one, equip his disciples to minister. He equipped them to do these things. There's so many times that Jesus gets alone with his disciples and he teaches them and he trains them and he lets them watch him do things and they're around him all the time. There's just equipping, training things that are going on constantly with Jesus. He equips them. The second thing, though, that he does is he provides ministry opportunities. He doesn't just say, watch me do this, listen to me talk about it. He goes, now I'm going to give you guys opportunities. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. They're walking along and the disciples come to Jesus and go, hey, there's all these people and everybody's getting hungry. It's the end of the day. We should send them away so they can go get food. And what does Jesus say? What do you guys have? How about you feed them? And they're like, uh, yeah, no, we, we don't have anything. Like I did see a boy over here with five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus goes, yeah, bring that. He blesses it. He breaks it. It multiplies but then Jesus puts it in the hands of his disciples and he goes, now you go give it away. Here's the opportunity for you to do some ministry. And so you go do this. And the same thing that we see in this passage in Luke, I'm gonna send you out to do ministry. Here's an opportunity. He's gonna do the same thing in a few chapters later in Luke with 72 of his followers. He's gonna go pair up, boys, I'm sending you out. Let's go. You're gonna have some ministry chances because again, we need to be pushed out of the nest. And then here's the last thing he does. He releases people to do ministry. He says, go to the villages around us. Go out. In fact, by the end of his life, he says, go to the whole world. That's the call for all of us as disciples of Jesus. Go. Go make disciples. 
And so he releases people to do ministry. Maturing disciples of Jesus are learning to look out and see beyond themselves. Again, we become, as we grow and mature in our faith, we become more God-centric. We become more others-centric, that we see the needs around us of other people. And we become more oriented toward ministry. I love that. I had a lady in the, before the first service that came up to me and she and her husband are kind of on call right now for a, a disaster relief organization that they're a part of. There's a hurricane coming in the Gulf and it could hit landfall in the next day. And they know as soon as the ability goes to be sent out to go do ministry that they're going to be going. They're going to be helping do recovery, disaster relief work, all kinds of different things. And she said, I, here's what I just absolutely love about ministering and doing ministry. It's addictive. Once you start, you just want to do more. You want to find your place to serve, and we call it finding your place to play. And you want to go and have fun. You want to go and be involved. You want to go love people. You want to go serve people. You want to go give of yourself for others. Because it's just addictive. And that's how I think Jesus wants us to see this. And part of our spiritual maturation process is going to be moving beyond the weekly Sunday service and the life group gathering to go, I want to be out doing on behalf of the kingdom. I don't want to just gather. I want to go, right? And so that's what Jesus is calling us to. So here at GFC, we talk about that again as like finding a place to play. And that's really what today's all about. In just a few minutes, we're going to dismiss from this room. We're going to send you out to what we call the gathering area. There are tables out there where our ministry team leaders are going to be hanging out. Today's Team Sunday. And we want you to find a team to be a part of. We want you to find a place that you can serve within our body. Uh, I'm wearing this GFC Kids shirt this morning. Somebody, uh, Ashley, gave this to me. And if your ministry had given me a shirt, I would have worn it too. I would have just had four or five shirts on. If your ministry wants to give me one, I'll wear it, all right? Uh, but their ministry gave me a shirt. And she said, would you wear this on Team Sunday? I said, yeah, I'll wear it on Team Sunday. I will promote the heck out of your ministry. Let's go. That's what we're supposed to do. We want to promote these ministries, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, our worship ministry, our men's and women's teams, our connections ministries our benevolence ministries. We, we've got so many different opportunities and ways for you to plug into our church. God has gifted you, given you talents, and given you passions. Then it's a matter of saying, where in the church can I put those things to work so that I can be a blessing to other people? But we don't just want to be about this in church. The last step is we also want to encourage you and equip you to do ministry where you live, where you work, and where you play. That you would say, wherever it is that God sends me in the Tri-Cities on a daily basis to do my thing, how do I view that and find a way to do ministry? And here's what I've learned over the years. The only limitation to ministry and how you do that is your imagination. God gives you gifts. He gives you talents. He gives you passions. And then he goes, I want you to just use your brain for a few minutes to think about how can I go and serve other people? where I live, where I work, where I play. Think about some easy things. One guy told me a few weeks ago, Mark Riesbeck, a guy here in our church, he said, at my job, at my business, we keep a whiteboard in the office behind the, the counter front where people come and they buy things from us. And when they are standing at the counter buying some things, we'll ask them, hey, is there anything that we can pray for you about this week? And he's like, so many times people go, I'm sorry, what did you say? 
It's like, no, really, can we pray for you? It's like people will just start telling us things going on in their life, and we write it down. We write their name and what they need prayer for on the whiteboard, and then we pray for them throughout the week. And on Friday, the owner of the business, his wife, calls every single name and follows up and says, we've been praying for you this week. How are you doing? And he's like, people are blown away when they get a call from somebody that said, you bought a door from us this week. We were praying for you. How are you doing? Maybe for you, it's thinking of other things. Maybe you can mow a neighbor's lawn, buy someone's groceries, pray for a friend who's hurting, take care of a single mom's kids so she can get a break. Find your way to serve. It's only limited by your imagination. And so that's what we want to encourage you to do. And then here's the last thing I want you to hear today as we send you out to investigate these ministries and these opportunities for how you can plug in and serve here in our body. When we see the call of Jesus and the command of Jesus to go make disciples in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the very end of the earth. What Luke tells us in the book of Acts, if you'll go over to the book of Acts and look at the first chapter, Luke gives us a little bit of a different wrinkle in the story. And so here's what we find in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them, his disciples, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You go, okay, now, is this one of those confusing, conflicting things in scripture? Does he want him to go to the whole world or does he want him to hang out in Jerusalem? And the answer is both. The first thing they need to do is hang out in Jerusalem. Why? Because he told them, a gift is coming for you. The promise that I've been telling you is going to come. And when it does, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, then go to the whole world. But guys, don't go until the Spirit comes. He's like, why does Jesus tell his disciples to wait until the Spirit comes? And here's why I think. He knew if they went out and tried to do this in their own power and authority, go to the whole world, make disciples, they would fail miserably. This has to be one of those things that's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem, and then when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll have that power, that authority. Then go to the world. The first wait. Now, for us as followers of Jesus, we have that spirit in us. God has gifted us with that spirit. Because we are followers of Christ, the spirit of God lives in us. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So our command is go. Go make disciples. And that's what we want to help you do today as you continue to learn this, this stage of making disciples and growing as a disciple is to minister. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.